Hello, and welcome to Pastor George's Bible Study. Yes, so by God's grace, we want to we want to continue from where we stopped last time. And like we said, like we have just read from 2 Kings chapter 6 from 24 to 33. So we are going to have like a like a short summary. Um can somebody help us? Just a short summary um, of what we learned last week so that we can build on it this week by God's grace. So can somebody help us? Short summary or summary of your notes. I like it when we make a request and everybody turns his face away from the camera. Nobody is looking directly at me now. Yes. Who will volunteer? Any of the children? Be brave. Look at the camera and read. <laughs> yes? Okay. You see, um, the Salido family, your camera is highlighted already. For I don't know why. And you guys are not saying anything, but on my screen it's highlighted. So I'm going to pick from there. Can you, uh, between Regine and sister, choose who will, who will, who will, who will give us summary? Yes. Summary, please. Uh, Who's doing it? Um, Regine, are you? I pick. You pick somebody. No, you have already started talking. Just do it so that we can move on. Thanks. I got confused, sorry. Um, I didn't write as much, but... That's fine. We can argument it. Don't worry. We took a look at Luke 4 and how Jesus was fasting for 40 days, but because he was fasting, he was also tempted for 40 days. And like he was besieged by the devil which mirrored how the Syrians had a siege on Samaria. And this shows how the enemy wants to inflict spiritual blockade on us. So we need to be vigilant and victorious like Jesus and to not give in. And verse 25 said that there was a famine, which reflects how the word of, the, word of God is scarce nowadays, but we must continue to live on the truth. Yeah. 26, the woman cried out, help me, your majesty. We shouldn't refrain from crying out to the Lord our King, and we need a heart that's always looking up when in need. We shouldn't complain, but instead cry out to the Lord first as our priority. Um, 27, the King replied that the Lord wouldn't help, but we should remember that nothing is impossible with the Lord, and that we should never underestimate his power. We shouldn't wait for things to get worse before asking God for help, as God wants us to ask him, as he says, ask a new show Thank you very much. Thank you. That was lovely. So I'm just going to, we'll just continue from where you actually stopped. You know, you ended on a very important note there from what you reminded us of, that we should not wait until things become very bad before we cry out. In this situation, we saw that in verse um, 20, 
verse 26. When the king was passing on the wall, the Bible said, a woman cried out to him, saying, help my Lord, O king. And I remember it was as if God was reminding us last time that we should not wait until things, you see, there was this siege, this blockade on Samaria. And interestingly, it was, it became progressively bad that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. The day the blockade started, the donkey's head was not sold for that much. As the blockade, as the siege continued, things became very bad. It got bad to a point that people started eating their children. And look at the woman that went to cry to the king. You know, he said, help my Lord, O king. I want to ask you a question. Why do you think it was then she went to cry to the king? Let's discuss. Why do you think it was just then? She didn't cry to the king before. It's now that she went and cried to the king. Why was that the case? It was simply because her own son was dead. And why did her son die? We've read the story there. A very, very pathetic situation. We saw, the Bible said, in verse 28, then the king asked her, what is troubling you? And she said, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. Before they resolved to do this terrible thing. There was no food in the house. There was famine everywhere. She did not go to the king to cry. It was when they had eaten her son and there was nobody's son to eat. That was why she now went to the king and cried. What is this teaching us? Please, beloved brethren, it's a, it's a very, very straightforward I know it looks straightforward, but it's a clear lesson, principle in scriptures, that when we are in trouble, we don't wait till when that trouble becomes very bad that we cry unto God. When there is a problem, let that, let, that, let that be your default position. You know, I've discovered, if you are not used to praying to God, when problem comes, it is not usually automatic for you to go and pray. When, whether there's problem or there's no problem, you have a communion with God. You are praying to him all the time. When there's an issue, you will easily go to God and cry unto him. And this is a very, very serious lesson we need to learn. Let's not wait until things become very bad. Let's be in the habit of talking to our Lord and Savior Jesus. Let that be our normal practice. Let's not just wait until when we are ill or we have a prayer point. We need money. We need this. We need that. No. Let our lives 
be a life of prayer. Consistently, persistently, let it be a habitual life, a habitual life of prayer. You are in the classroom, you remember things, any issue comes up, you pray about it. You are going to school, you are coming back from school, let your life be a life of prayer. Learn to talk to Jesus. Don't wait till when there is a big problem. You see, when we've, we've, I think we've used this analogy before, that don't let it be that it's only when there's a problem that heaven hears your voice. That should not be the case. Let the Lord hear your voice every day because you come to him in prayer. Let it not just be when there's an issue. Let me show you a scripture. Just the example of the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. Let's go to Exodus just to show you an analogy. Exodus chapter 2. We want to just read their story again. I'm sure we've read it before, but just to give us um, an insight into the matter of praying unto God, and as we've illustrated here. So we are going to look at Exodus. And of course, you know the story of the children of Israel, how the, the king of Egypt put them in captivity. Look at chapter 2. The Bible said, let's um, we'll read it from verse 6. The Bible said, and Joseph died. So Exodus chapter 2, verse... Sorry, Exodus chapter 1, sorry. Exodus 1, from verse 6. The Bible said, And Joseph died. All his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Do you see? Verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look! The people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Least they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out from the land. Look at verse 11. Therefore, they set tax masters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Phantom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. Verse 14, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. In mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, all their service in which they made them serve with rigor. Do you see what the children of Israel were now passing through? 
we saw that as they multiplied, the Bible said in verse 7, the children of Israel multiplied. They became fruitful. They were growing. They were becoming prosperous. The whole land was full of them. And the Egyptians thought and said, what? We cannot, we cannot continue like this. These guys are outgrowing us. They are meant to be visitors in our country. And they are taking over the whole place. Look at, they are establishing businesses. They are just growing and growing and growing. They are becoming more powerful than us. So they decided, we are going to set tax masters. And they put the children of Israel in slavery. The, the cities the Egyptians could not build, it was the children of Israel that built it for them. But they built it under, under slavery conditions. Now, in the midst of all this, excuse me, did you hear or did you see in the Bible that the children of Israel prayed? We did not hear in this chapter that the children of Israel prayed. We didn't hear it. And I thought they would start praying. I thought they would say, ah, God, this, this work is too heavy. These um, Egyptians deliver us from their hand. We didn't hear any prayer. Look at what happened next. Eh? Look at verse 15. So the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shepra and the other one was Puna. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. Do you see the king of Egypt? Do you see what he was proposing? He saw that putting the children of Israel under bondage was not working. Because despite the bondage they were under in verse 12, the Bible said the more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. So the children of Israel were still expanding, were still growing um, um, in size, in population, despite the, the oppression. That was what was happening. And the children of Israel did not pray. And look at, because the children of Israel did not cry to God for deliverance, the devil thought, well, if these people are not praying, let us make the situation worse for them. And beloved brethren, this is a lesson for us. When we do not, when Christians don't hold up the banner of prayer to God, the devil has a free way, free range of operating. When we don't counter the enemy, and when we don't stand up against him, when we don't resist the devil, you are giving him opportunity to do what he likes. Look at this. There was no prayer. They didn't cry unto God. And they now, the devil, the king of Egypt, now devised his own method. He said, since these people are now reducing in size, let us start killing their male children so that they will not have a population of old people and there will be no young men. That was their plan. And see, he told the midwives to kill the male children and the female children leave them alone. It was very interesting. But those midwives did not listen to the king. 
and God blessed them. God blessed the midwives on be, because of the fact that they, they did not do a wrong thing. But you see, we are not talking about the midwives today, although there is an important lesson we can learn from them. That important lesson is that no matter the pressure, no matter the coercion, no matter the, the, the pressure that the enemy can put on you to disobey God, please, by the grace of God upon your life, resist. We saw the midwives. They went ahead and did not carry out the king's command. And if you look at it, the Bible said in verse 20, therefore God dealt well with the midwives. God blessed them. God looked favorably on them. But like I said, we are not concentrating on the midwives today. So look at verse 21. So it was, no, no, verse um, 22. Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast him into the river. Every daughter, you shall save alive. You see, the devil and the, of course, the king of Egypt at this stage, since the children of Israel were still multiplying, he now thought, let's kill the sons. Let's kill every male child that is born. And we saw there, he made that decree. And soldiers were going around, throwing babies into the banana. Terrible. But in the midst of all that, excuse me, did you see that the children of Israel prayed? Did they cry unto God? Did you see any record of that? That's the problem. The situation was going from bad to worse, but there was no prayer. Now, let's, let's keep going. I want us to enter Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Now, let's go to verse 23. We want to read now. Exodus 2 verse 23. We are trying to trace why it is important to pray. Look at it. Verse 23. Now it happened, Exodus 2, 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. They cried out. The, are, you, are you seeing the, the word of God? They cried out. And what happened, please? And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Do you see? Verse 24. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. That is the effect of prayer. That is the effect of a cry unto God. God is trying to teach us from this story, from this timeline we have done that we should not you see the children of israel when ramsi um, um, the king of egypt gave them tasks to build a city and put them in slavery there was no cry then he went ahead and started killing their children their young kids young um young boys that were born there was no cry thank god 
In Exodus chapter 2, there was a cry. You see, if they did not cry, the next thing, I'm sure, because the devil, if you give him an inch, the devil doesn't obey rules of a game. If you say, devil, okay, I'll give you this inch, it will take 200 miles. You understand? They did not cry when they started killing those children. There was no cry. If they did not cry in Exodus chapter 2, the next thing would be for the king of Egypt to say, okay, let's start killing the Israelites one by one. Let's gather a whole family and throw them into the Nile so that crocodiles will eat them. There was no cry. But thank God they started crying. And look at what happened when they cried, please. The Bible said their cry came up to God because of their bondage, because of the bondage. You see, the, the cry, their prayers, when they decided to start praying, when they said, okay, we have had enough. Lord, come and help us. The Bible said their cry came up to God. And God remembered. You see, God now took notice when they cried. Is, good, is this going to be a challenge for me and you, beloved brethren? That we have to also learn to cry. Let your heart be soft always in crying to God, in praying to God, in running to him for deliverance. Don't put confidence in yourself. Don't say, well, you know, I, I think I will handle it. I will handle it. I will handle it. That's not a problem. I will deal with it. Learn to cry unto God for help. Learn to call upon him. It was when the children of Israel made this cry that the Bible said the Lord took notice. Is it that the Lord did not see all this bondage before? God saw it. But God was waiting to hear their cry. Can this be a lesson for us, beloved brethren? Let us not take it for granted. Don't assume, don't just say, well, God, God knows. God sees everything. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. When the Bible says, ask and you shall receive, it doesn't mean God didn't know that you needed that thing. God is only telling you, ask and keep asking. I pray the Lord will help us. So we see there that it's necessary for us not to wait until things become very bad. Then we cry unto him. Now, let's go back to our second Kings. So we notice there, second Kings chapter six. Let's go back there. We notice something there that the woman came and cried unto the king. I did not hear her cry before her son died. She only cried when she noticed that, ah, her son has gone and I'm still hungry. And there's nobody to eat. You see how bad the situation was? It's so, it was so terrible. Cannibalism started because Nobody cried. And it's awful. This, this is not a good story. But it should, this is to teach us some spiritual lessons. 
So you notice here that the king now asked, what is troubling you? So the first lesson we are learning today is let us be sensitive in crying to God. That's the first lesson. The second lesson we are seeing here is that, remember, look at the question the king asked. He said, what is the problem? And then she told, her, she told the king the situation. You know, when you go to God in prayer, God is expecting for you to bear your heart open before him. Be, be clear. You know that your, your heart is heavy. Tell God, God, my heart is heavy. I'm just not happy today. You know something is bothering you. Be open before God. You know, the king was not, the, the woman was not afraid of saying, King, we have only, we have just killed my son to eat. She didn't care whether it was an offense or not. She told the king the truth. Beloved brethren, we cannot hide from God. If there's a problem, if we have committed sin, if we have done the wrong thing, open it before God and go to him in repentance. Be open before God with your heart. He's the one that sees your heart. And the other thing you notice here was that because of the famine, people had resulted in doing the wrong thing. That is what happens when we do not cry. When the famine started and things were becoming expensive, nobody cried. It was only when cannibalism started, this woman went and cried to the king. I said, king, help me, oh. Help me, come and help me. I'm praying that our situation will not degenerate before we cry. I'm praying that we will have this habit of talking to God consistently. Whether things are good, whether things are bad. Look at the children of Israel. They were multiplying. They were enjoying themselves in Exodus chapter 1. Do you remember? They were, they were prospering. We didn't hear any communion. We didn't hear any talk about God there. It was very interesting. Children of Israel, who their heritage is God, we only heard them mention God or cry to God when they were in trouble. That should not be our testimony. Now, let's, let's, let's move on. So we saw that very terrible story. Look at verse 30. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed on the wall and the people looked and there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. So you see the king here. When the king heard that terrible news, ah, he tore his clothes. He was very upset. People have now started eating their children to survive. But look at what happened in verse 31. The Bible said, then he, the king said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his head. So, excuse me. What do you think was happening here? 
the king now was blaming Elisha. You see, the king was now blaming God. The king did not cry out to God and say, God, help me. What was he doing, please? He was now blaming God. And look at what he said. He said, I am going to, God do, God do so to me and more also. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his head today. So what was he saying? Today, today, I am going to cut off Elisha's head. Elisha, the representative of God, is the cause of all this. Excuse me, does it not happen at times, even with us? When terrible things happen to us, what's the first thing? We blame God. Why is it that God didn't, didn't answer my prayer? Why is it that God allowed it to happen? Why is it that God is allowing this to happen? Why is it that God is doing it? Have you not seen that type of thing before? Why is it that God allowed that bad thing to happen? We saw the king doing exactly what people do in our generation. They blame God. They say, God is your fault. They say, God, if you are God, why are you allowing these terrible things to happen? When actually, when terrible things happen, the first place is not to go and blame God. is to call on him for help. Do you remember when the woman came to ask the king before? Oh, king, help us. What was, what was the king's reply? If God does not help you, I can't help you. If God does not help you, where can I get help from? That should be our response. Our response should be, oh God, the situation is terrible. Come and help us. Look at it. He now was blaming God. And look at what he said. He said he was going to take off Elisha's head. Excuse me. How does taking off Elisha's head solve the problem of the famine? How does you blaming God and going to do the wrong thing solve your problem? And we saw it here. The king was going to go and commit, he was going to commit murder. I see that was the solution to the problem of the famine in the land. Should the king not, even if he has to go to Elisha, should he not go to Elisha and say, Elisha, what is happening? Talk to God on our behalf. God has been silent. God has not said anything. We need help. Oh God, come and speak. Come and help us. That was not the cry. Beloved brethren, please, may God enlarge your heart. You see, because if we, do, if we do not take note of these instructions, we will find ourselves in very difficult in situations that are difficult. But instead of doing the right thing, we will even go and add sin to sin. The children of Israel were, the, the, 
Samaria was in already a bad state. The king now going to go and kill the prophet was going to cause more trouble for him, actually. At times, the situation around your life can be very bad, but that doesn't mean you should go and do the wrong thing because doing the wrong thing does not solve the problem. So we see here that he was, he was going to, he sent a king, a, a servant to go and cut off Elisha's head. Look at it in verse 32. So Elisha, now look at verse 32. Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Do you see? So we notice there that Elisha was now in his house sitting with the elders. And, you know, I know Elisha is a man of God. But I did not see here that Elisha was praying and asking God. He was sitting down. We are not going to read too much into that. But you see, the whole of Samaria was in a state. But we are, the Bible, you know, the Bible says everything works together for good. You know, it was when this woman cried to the king. When this woman went to the king, that there was a kind of an answer to the, to the terrible state of Samaria. You see, because it was when the king heard that people started eating their children that the king now went to meet Elisha. Now, let's read on. The Bible said Elisha was sitting down with the elders and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do, not, do you see how this son of a murderer sent someone to take away my head? Look. When the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. It's not the sound of his master behind him. So we notice there that the Elisha knew that the king was sending somebody to come and take off his head. Do you see the power of God upon Elisha, isn't it? Elisha knew what was going on even in the king's palace. And I want to ask you a question. If Elisha knew what was going on in the king's palace, will Elisha not know as well how we can how they can solve this problem of famine? Will Elisha not know? He will know. But look at it. I want you to see where dealing with God comes in. The Bible said, and while he was still talking, there was the messenger coming down to him in verse 33. And the king said, so the, the messenger came to Elisha and the king followed the messenger. Now look at what the king said. And I think we highlighted it last week. The king said, he said, surely this calamity is from God. It's from the Lord. Do you see who the king was, was blaming? God. This calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Do you see? The king 
was waiting for God. The king was waiting for God's word concerning the situation. But when he did not hear he receive an answer, when he did not hear the word of God, eh? what did he say? Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Beloved brethren, this is a strong lesson for us. When you refuse to wait for God, you most likely are going to go ahead and do the wrong thing. When you have been praying to God for an answer and nothing is happening, I beg of you, let's look at what the word of God says here. The king was waiting for God. He was waiting for answered prayer. I know the situation was becoming bad, but he was waiting. And then he got frustrated. And look at what he was going to do. He was going to go and kill Elisha. And he said, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I pray that you will wait for God. No matter how long it takes. I pray that you will be patient with God. Beloved brethren, it's better to wait for God than not to wait for God and go and commit sin. It's better to wait for God than to go and do the wrong thing and end up on the side of perdition. It's better to wait for God than to go and do the wrong thing, lose your salvation, and then end up in hell. It's better to wait for God so that you can see the deliverance of God in the land of the living. It's better to wait for God's word. Because as at this time, the word of God had not come regarding the situation. I know maybe the king was praying, oh God, come and remove this siege from Samaria. Lord, come and help us. And nothing happened. And at times, God can choose not to walk at, the, at your own timing. The timing you have, according to your own calendar, according to your own plan, God might not work with it. And we saw there that God later gave his word. But you see, what as I read this scripture, what is challenging my heart was, I know that woman did the wrong thing. By killing her son. But I hope you know that it was her cry to the king that sparked off all these events that led to 2 Kings chapter 1, chapter 7, verse 1. Look at it. I'll just read that and then we'll round up. Then look at chapter 1, 2 Kings, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. The Bible said, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow, about this time, a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seers of belly for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Hallelujah. The word of God that brings the life of God anywhere had brought solution to that siege. 
and look at it. Elisha proclaimed the word of the Lord. I want to challenge us, beloved brethren. Can this be our lifestyle? That when we are faced with a situation, let us go and find out what is God saying concerning that situation. Do you see what happened there? There was a problem. The king had given up and said, well, I'm not waiting for God again. I'm just going to butcher, take off Elijah's head. He was going to do the wrong thing. And then the word of the Lord came. He said, look at it. Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. I hope me and you will take note of that instruction. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved brethren, we don't have an option. Since we know we cannot go to the devil and get solution from him, what do we do, please? We need to hear the word of the Lord. Since me and you know we cannot afford to go and sell our integrity, sell our relationship, betray Jesus by doing the wrong thing like this king was about to do. Since me and you know we cannot do that, what's our solution, please? Hear the word of the Lord. And beloved brethren, when the word of the Lord came, it did not bring destruction. It brought solution. When the word of the Lord came, it brought deliverance. It brought hope. When the word of the Lord came, it brought comfort. I'm praying that this will be our testimony. That it is only going to be according to what the word of God has said. Look at it. It was very clear. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Maybe the word of the Lord had not come before now. That's why Elisha couldn't talk. When there is no word of the Lord that comes to his soul of a man, he cannot talk. There was no way he was going to conjure and make up something when God had not spoken. And honestly, in my heart, as I read this scripture, it was as if that woman, you know, it, her, her crying unto the king was what sparked off all this. Do you see what prayer does? Prayer can work directly or indirectly. Prayer, even when you think it's just ordinary prayer you are praying, beloved brethren, God honors it. God honors prayers. The simple prayer you could be praying can spark off a chain reaction in the spiritual that leads to people's deliverance. I know this woman had lost her son, but that cry she made to the king, though it was an earthly king, and we said last week, the way she cried to the king and said, king, help us, that should be our own cry to God, our king. Since we cannot, you know, the lesson here is that we, since we, the less, for us, the lesson is, since we have to cry to our king, let's take that opportunity and cry. Let's talk to God. Beloved brethren, God is close to you as the air you breathe. Let's talk to him. Let's cry. 
Let's not just think it's ordinary. That crash he made to the king set up a, a chain of events. And we saw here how the word of God came. And we didn't have to wait long before the word of God came in verse 1. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. And beloved brethren, when you hear that instruction, hear the word of the Lord. What should happen to your ears, please? You need to tune your ears. You need to come and pay close attention. Jesus said, let those who have an ear hear. Do you understand? We, me and you have spiritual ears. We need to come and hear the word of the Lord. We are prone to hearing the word of the, the word of the, of the, of the world. The sounds and the statements in the world, those sounds and statements, those opinions, the words of men is something God wants to take our sensitivity away from. And he wants us to be sensitive to the word of the Lord. Let your ear always be tuned to the word of the Lord. Excuse me. Those of you who play medical, um, um, musical instruments, what happens? How come you know when they are playing a chord, C, a key C, or a key G? How do you know? You listen. You listen, isn't it? Jethro, uh, please help us here. How did you know the difference between C and G? You just... There's like some notes might be higher than the others. There's like always some sort of difference. <laughs> you, when you come to experience, you just hear it. Thank you. That was what I wanted to hear. It comes with experience. You see, Jethro could not even explain it. Because hearing, it comes, you can't explain it. You can only try and use words to explain a key. You can't really explain it. You have to be experienced to differentiate. Somebody is playing Kiji and another playing playing is somebody else is playing B flat. How will you excuse me? To, to me, in my head, I'm just thinking, was which one is B flat and, and C sharp or whatever? But it's those whose ears have been tuned. Their ear is already tuned. They know that this is a high key. They know that this is a low key. They say, no, why don't you differentiate, transpose between the keys and bring in the arguments. All that, medi- all that musical stuff, it comes by hearing. So, beloved brethren, what's the Holy Spirit telling us? Let us tune our ears to his word. It, as you keep tuning your ear to his word, by experience, you know when God is talking. You know. You know, people always ask, oh, how do you know? How do you know that God is talking? God talks to you all the time. But when you don't listen, you can't know he's the one. But by the time you listen and obey, and you are listening and obeying, you are listening and obeying, and you are gaining experience with God, with time, you can easily know that this is the word of the Lord. With time, 
because you are building your experience in working with God, you will know when God speaks. You can just read the Bible passage and one word will just jump out from that scripture. And the Holy Spirit will be telling you in your ear. You see that word? That's what I want you to take note of. I want you to go and obey that. The more you listen to God, the more your ear is exercised. Your spiritual ear is exercised. I pray God will help us. I pray we understand that God wants to develop our spiritual hearing. The more exposure you have to the word of God, both corporately and personally, will help your spiritual hearing. It will help your spiritual hearing. Your spiritual hearing has nothing to do with your physical hearing. It doesn't. Do you remember the story of um, Jacob? Maybe we should go there. Very interesting story. We'll just round up with that analogy. I'm just trying to show you the difference between spiritual sight, eh? spiritual hearing, and physical hearing. Or physical sight. Look at it. Just go to Genesis. We want to see the story of Jacob. Very interesting story. Genesis, is it 48? Yes, Genesis 48. Look at that interesting story. So, just as a quick, because you can't read everything because of time. We are going to read the last few verses. But the background, the context of the story here was that Jacob, then his name was called Israel. He was sick. And he was going to die very soon. Hmm? So Joseph, who was the second in command in Egypt, now brought his two sons, Manasseh, the firstborn, and Ephraim, for Joseph, for Jacob to come and see and bless. Hmm? So look at it. Um, I want you to see what was going on. Look at verse 8. Then Israel, that's Jacob, saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. You see how a grandfather should be. He was going to bless his grandchildren. Hmm? Verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So, um, Jacob's eyes were already going dim. He couldn't see clearly anymore. And the Bible went on to talk about how he was going to bless them. But look at verse, look at verse um, 11. Let me read it. Let me continue to read it. Israel said to Jacob, I have not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And verse 13, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left hand, 
towards Israel's right hand and brought them near. So do you see what was happening? Jacob was going to bless his grandchildren. Manasseh, the firstborn. Ephraim, the secondborn. So Joseph brought Manasseh and put him on the right hand of Jacob. And then the secondborn will be on the left hand. According to Israel and Jewish tradition, the firstborn takes priority. So the firstborn is always on the right hand. And the secondborn on the left. Now, look at it. I want us to go straight to verse 17. No, maybe we shouldn't go to verse 17 yet. Look at verse 14, please. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head. Who was the younger? And his right and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Do you see what was going on there? So instead of Ephraim, Joseph to bless Manasseh with the right hand and put his left hand on Ephraim, secondborn, what did Joseph do, please? Joseph did this. Sorry, Jacob did this. Jacob used his right hand to bless Ephraim and used his left hand to bless Manasseh. Remember, Joseph could no longer, sorry, Jacob could not see clearly. So look at verse 17. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to, the, to his father, no, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Joseph was trying to correct his father. Why are you crossing your hand? Manasseh is the firstborn. You bless him with your right hand. He's the first. Ephraim is the secondborn. You bless him with the, with the left hand. But look at what, look at what Jacob said. In verse 19, but his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall be a, 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 become a people and he shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he. Do you see what Joseph was saying and um, Jacob was saying there? Jacob was not relying on physical sight. He was going to bless the two boys. But inside, spiritually, Jacob knew that the younger was going to be greater. So Jacob was not relying on the physical sight that, oh, this is the firstborn, this is the secondborn. So the firstborn normally should be greater. No. Jacob was relying on spiritual sight. He was relying on his spiritual sight. He wasn't, remember, he could no longer see properly but it was only going by the spiritual insight he had. I pray that God will make me and you like Israel here. A man who did not rely on his physical sight, but to rely on the spiritual insight the Spirit of God was showing him. That's the prayer. So when the Bible is saying here, 
the word of the Lord. That is what God is trying to develop in us. A spiritual insight that trumps the physical sight. Children, I hope you understand what we are saying. I need, I need a resp- I don't want to be too complicated. Children, do you understand what we are saying? Hmm? God, yes. God wants to develop a spiritual insight for us. Spiritual insight does not depend on your physical sight. So at times, you will go somewhere hmm? and you notice that, oh, that place is very beautiful. It's nice looking. Maybe I should stay here. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, don't stay here. Ah, but you start talking. So, ah, but this is a nice place. Everybody's lovely. Maybe I should stay here. And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't depend on your physical sight. Depend. Listen to the, what God is saying by his spirit. Let us learn to develop our spiritual insight by the spirit of God. By the word of the Lord. Because that is how God wants us to live. You are going to see later in this story, very interesting, how spiritual sight and spiritual insight matters far more than the physical. I pray God will help us. So we are going to pray. That Lord, that's a, that's a strong prayer point I think we should pray about. Lord, develop my spiritual insight by your word. Come and join Pastor George's Bible study at 8 p.m. 